Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. It is 5.30 in the morning right now, aka the actual time I get stuff done <laughs> before before going to work. Um, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking back to the episode I recorded with Sabrina. Um, so to draw back the curtain or whatever, um, I'll record these uh, randomly through the week in like most of the time in like the one hour I have free after school. Um, and then on Thursdays, I'll wake up early, think about um, the intro and outro during like a short workout. Like Thursdays are usually my day off of running. Uh, and then I'll sit down to record the intro and I'll try to like, I'll do it in the basement so I'm not like being super loud to wake everybody up. So right now it's literally just me sitting here with my cat. He's, he's kind of like, he, he's awake. He like loves this stuff. Anyways, the point I'm trying to get to is I usually give myself like a week or two or sometimes even three between recording the, po- the actual like podcast interview conversation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the intro and outro. And a lot of times that really helps me kind of like think like, what is it that what were my takeaways? You know, I had this conversation two weeks ago. What were the things that I took away from it? Um, and this one, I have to say it's, it's just, I just had so much fun talking to Sabrina, hearing her story. Um, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk with Sabrina white. I thought Sabrina's episode should come right after Luke's episode because, uh, they both are, folks who were out uh, doing the Deseret stage race this summer who we were filming um, and they were both people who were taking on their very first 100 mile race Um, and there's just something I know I've said it before uh, there's something to be said about when you go out and you camp with a group of people the kind of bonds that you you form Uh, and when I heard that both Luke and Sabrina were planning on doing 100 milers in September I was like Oh, dude, when you do the 100 milers, like, I have to hear the story. Um, So I was like, I have to have you guys on the podcast. I have to hear your story. Because I always find the perspective of like the beginner or the first time, you know, the first time of doing something, whatever that something may be. I always find that perspective interesting because you're going in with fresh eyes. Um, It's the idea where when you're experiencing something for the first time, you're really kind of experiencing it at like a deeper level. Um, And so when I hear about people running 100 milers as someone who hasn't ran a hundred miler yet, I'm like, wow, man, like I I have to hear this story from their perspective because they always end up learning all, all sorts of lessons where it's like, oh, I wish I would have done this differently and this differently and this differently. I should have done this and blah, blah, blah. But they also are just, are just experiencing it, taking it in at this deep, like almost like soul changing level uh, that I I always find really fascinating. Um, Plus Sabrina's just awesome. She's super cool. This conversation's hilarious. Uh, When she gets to the the point in the story where she's going into an aid station, just sobbing, uh, you, you feel bad laughing, but this is one of those like, 
type two fun things where in retrospect, you're like, oh my gosh, like I was sobbing. It was so funny and hilarious. Whereas in the moment you were probably like, that was not fun at all. Like I would have much preferred to be smiling than sobbing, but, um, but that's just how the cookie crumbled then. All right, let's get into it. This is, uh, like a Bigfoot podcast number 273 with Sabrina White talking about the Yeti 100. Let's go. Let's get into it. Sabrina is surrounded by her dogs and they're awesome. What are their names? Um, I have Bear and Slack. Slack is the one who will be squeaking her platypus periodically throughout this, I'm sure. And Bear is um, the one that looks like a small bear. Yeah, he really does. He is gigantic. Or she. He or she? He. Yeah. Nice. He terrifies people along the trail when you're coming because uh, everybody that passes goes, oh my God, I thought there was a bear on the trail. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just Bear. <laughs> <laughs> just confuse the crap out of them. Well, I'll say for my end over here, I just got done teaching seventh graders. So my brain is fried. I'm oh. drinking bubbly, sparkly water and eating the only snack I could find in the house, which was taco shells. So I won't be eating them on the podcast, but like just straight up taco shells. That's all I got. Wow. I, you might need to go grocery shopping as badly as I need to go grocery shopping right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm super excited. I, I know you finished your first 100 miler recently, so I want to hear all about that. And, uh, but before that, I have to ask you about being a helicopter pilot. Oh yeah. So, um, I guess I could never, I never really made up my mind on what I wanted to do when I was a big kid. And, um, so I did a lot of really strange jobs. And so I went from, I started a PhD, I dropped out of the PhD and then I went and did, uh, I was an EMT for a while in Denver. And then I tried like apprentice guiding at some companies for like rock climbing. And then I was a, a raft guide in Colorado. And then what did I do next? I was the substitute preschool teacher. I scooped ice cream for a while. Uh, and then I moved to Logan, uh, Utah, because I was, uh, as an EMT, I, I did some transports where we did, we picked up some patients at the airport and we trans and we picked them up from the airplane and then we took them to the hospital. And I was like, man, it would have been really cool to be the pilot who was flying these, these patients instead of like the bus driver. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, well, that could be a fun job. And so I went to Logan and I started uh, helicopter school. And so I got my private and my commercial license and then, um, instrument rating, but I kind of ran out of money <laughs> and you need a couple more licenses, like your CFI and your CFII to like really get a job in helicopters, but helicopters are really expensive. And I already had two loans, so I was, I couldn't do it anymore. And then, uh, and that's when I joined the military to fly. And now I don't fly at all. So, you know, as you do. It's <laughs> Wait, so as you do, that just means like following the path of wherever life takes you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll work out eventually. I, I think you need to put that on a t-shirt and it should just say, as you do. As you do. It's like Zen. Yeah, I love it. I love that mindset. Wow. Okay. So I have to ask you so many questions because I was trying to like keep up. 
while you were, while you were talking about your jobs, which is awesome. So what was your PhD in? Um, I had, so I have my, my bachelor's in entomology and nematology. So I studied bugs and worms. No way. At the university of Florida, it was the best degree in the entire world. Go Gators. Uh, I love my school. Um, and I love my degree. It was so much fun. And I love bugs are really cool. I just finished like my, my half sleeve and it's got, uh, I've got some bumblebees on here. I've got a cicada on the back. No way. Hmm? That's so cool. So what's the, what's your favorite bug? You have to have one. It's really hard. I really like, I hate them, but I love them. Mosquitoes are really cool. They're awful in every way. They really are <laughs> terrible, but they're really interesting. They're quite amazing little bugs. Yeah. Um, well, how, to, yeah. How I, so? Like what fascinates you about them? Sorry. Um, what a weird way to start like an adventure sports podcast, but like, I am like legitimately fascinated. <laughs> let's let's uh, this is fun i like talking about bugs <laughs> i mean it's really interesting because i mean as vectors of disease i think that yes. they're pretty horrible they're horrible fascinating in the same way because yeah. they really do cause an extraordinary amount of damage and yet they coexist with so many of these terrible things so i think that's really interesting and my, my alarm is going to go off for, for my pasta. I'm sorry. No worries. You can you cut that out. We'll leave the pasta alarm in actually. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I paused it. Now I have to open it up again. But um, yeah, I think they're just kind of terrible. Yeah. But that's what makes them interesting. I the mean, worst, any, yeah. the blood meal is pretty cool. Because imagine... That- you're that little you're the size of a mosquito right you're extremely small but you're taking a blood meal from a human body that's 98.6 degrees so it's really quite warm liquid that you're ingesting yeah but insects are not warm-blooded so they're not warm but he's taking in this like hot meal and if you watch the back of a mosquito when they're taking a blood meal that's a lot of liquid compared to their body size yeah so pretty cool any blood feeding insect i think is really neat because i mean it's a lot of liquid to to drink so i have to say like during (laughs) during the race uh this summer which i don't want to talk too much about i was joking so i interviewed (laughs) luke uh olet on here and we were laughing i was like dude i i think i just do desert rats so i can have interesting guests on the podcast because you guys are all (laughs) fascinating but um but so would you say since, you know, a mosquito is drinking like a really hot liquid for a meal, uh, when it's 116 degrees out in the middle of the desert and you're like trying to drink Coca-Cola, is it kind of like the same experience? Extremely comparable. I'd say the, the temperature of my water that was in my pack, you know, that was pretty close. That was definitely close. I'm That's- pretty sure when it came into my mouth. <laughs> well, that's like the strategy I tell people about where it's like, if you train for a really hot race, like, dude, don't drink any cold water while you're training. Cause it's going to be unrealistic. That's true. And I didn't do that. See, I made that mistake. I put ice in my pack when I was training for it. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have, you should have just, I, I legit, this is no joke. I heated up water and I would, <laughs> yeah. And I would have it in like a glass while I was in my backyard, like working out just cause I'm like, this is going to be as hot as the water is. 
I love it. I felt so unprepared at the beginning of that race. I remember the bus ride out as the race was starting and I was talking with Luke and stuff and they were talking about, um, turning up the heat in their car after like a long run, just <laughs> super cool just to be like hot in the summer. They just finished a run, turned yeah. the heat. I was like, dang, I ran on a treadmill a lot because <laughs> I want to run outside because it was too hot. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, to bring it back for a second. So when you lived out in Colorado in the West, there's not, I, I swear there's not that many bugs out here versus where you are now in Virginia, like Virginia, you're swarmed with bugs. Like every time you go trail running. It's so true. I I think I ate about 15 little tiny bugs on the run. I just finished as well. So they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The flies are the worst. Yeah. Everywhere you put fly, I have a fly trap on one of my windows, and I think it's got about seven flies on it right now. That's just insane. I have to tell you. So we talked uh like last year at a certain point, and I was like, "Have you gone to False Cape State Park to yes. go running?" Right, mm-hmm. and you did, right? I did. I went right after you told me about it. I was like, "Well, I should run there," and then I went the next. Month. So, yeah. can you kind of describe like what is false? It was one of my like I thought it was such a cool run when I went there. It's pretty. I like it. It's um. So when you go to False Cape, it's you start at Back Bay, um, Bay Wildlife Refuge, I think it's called, yeah. and so really exposed like miles on grassy sand, um, in the sun, and then you get into Back Bay, and I thought it was just so pretty because it's just um a nice mix of. Sometimes there's trees. Sometimes you end up on the beach and there's this beautiful, um, beautiful water. And the day that I went, the ocean was creating all of this um, white foam all over the place. So it looked like someone had turned on the bubble bath of the ocean. And so there was just bubbles everywhere, all the way up. And I took some videos and it just looked like you literally turned the bubble bath on in the Atlantic Ocean. It was (laughs) cool. It was wind was just pelting you like making the bubbles fly all over the all over the sand they almost looked like it had snowed on the ocean it was very cool i have no idea what it was but it was a beautiful day that's super cool well i just remember i was running along and i was trying to stop to relieve myself well i guess yeah mm-hmm. okay that's is that PG? Is that P that's yeah. I drank a lot of water and I had to go to the bathroom. I don't know what to tell you. So as I stopped though, like these little black flies would land on me and oh. instantly bite me. And I was like, Gah! and I like I couldn't stop. I was like, this is horrible. I was almost gonna cry. I'm like, this is the worst. Why are these flies attacking me? What did I do to these flies? So yeah, I'm glad you didn't say black flies as your bug of choice. No, no, they're pretty awful. But mosquitoes, I do. Yeah, my my dog Slack, the 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 brown one that squeaks. Um, she she runs with me, but she's uh, developed a massive fear of stable flies because of Virginia. Oh, she hears a buzzing. She loses her loses her mind and starts like trying to run away or like hide. She'll hide behind my legs. Yeah, she's just terrified of the stable flies because there's so many of them. Like a dismal swamp, you'll run through a swamp is literally running from the stable flies. So it'd be like, if I go faster, they won't be able to catch me, right? <laughs> he is so scared of them now because they're just, they're awful. Oh, they are. And they've got these like, cutting mouth parts. So they, they cut and they lap up the blood. So it's just painful. See, this is what I don't want to know. I don't want to like think about like a bug 
like, I don't want to like, you know, you know, when you see pictures and it's like an ant, but it's like gigantic now. I don't want that. I don't want to honey. I shrunk the kids bugs. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what their faces look like. I just don't. I just don't. (laughs) Some are really cute though. Like there's some adorable beetles. Pretty cute beetles. You should look up tiger beetles. I think they're really cute. Tiger beetles. Oh, they're cute. Okay. I'm looking up right now. But also, like, if you haven't been to Virginia, I want you to know, like, there's legitimately a place called Dismal Swamp, and it's a giant place. I did my first 100K there. Did you really? Yeah. I like that. This is good. You're tying it back into ultra running, so people people stay (laughs) tuned. Yeah, uh, it was. I did my first 100K in Dismal Swamp, and um, it was on, like, the the one year anniversary of my first 50 K actually. So my first 50 K was the freight train 50 K and it was awesome. It was really the perfect 50 K. If anyone's like in the Virginia area and they want to like test, test the waters, that's perfect. It was a really fun community. The race is really flat and it's just really nice. Um, but dismal swamp, I was like one year later, COVID had just happened. So like all of my races the previous year have been canceled. I was like, I, I need to do, I need to do a race. And so dismal swamp came up. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do it. And it was, uh, it was on the paved section by the bear and it went, you ran out for three and a half miles. And then you ran back for three and a half miles. And you just kept doing that. You just did that. There was the one station at the start and that was it. And, um, it was the most dismal thing I've ever done. I never bored in my entire life. I was so bored. I was so bored. I've ran that section, I think, and it is, there's nothing, I mean, there's trees and stuff, but it's flat and everything looks the same. It's the same thing. Oh my God. It hurts so much. How did you power through it? Like mentally? (laughs) I listened to an audio book the entire time, the (laughs) time it took me, it took me forever. It took me like 14 hours. Cause I was just so over it. Um, but yeah, I listened to an audiobook until I couldn't stand to listen to it any longer. And that was like towards the very end. And then my boyfriend met me and um, did like the last two out and backs with me. And I was like, Oh, thank God. There's someone here to keep me company. I had a little cry, but I didn't have a really big down on that one. No big down except for, yeah, that one. Like, I mean, it doesn't sound like you had any like high highs on that one either though. No, so there like- were- there was no happiness on that race. It was none at all, actually. So would you, rec- you would recommend it though, obviously. Of course. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to, okay. So we'll come back to all the racing stuff for sure. Um, EMT in Denver leads to you being a rock climbing guide or no, or is it the other way around? The other one. So I started, I did the, the climbing guiding first. Oh, I was a ski instructor too. I forgot that one. Where were you a ski instructor at? Upper Mountain, Colorado. Best resort in the world. It's the best. I love copper. Copper is great. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I had a friend who was a ski instructor there about the same time, but I'll have to ask you that later. That'd be so cool. I hope so. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, like Hmm. ski instructor, rock climbing guide, and also raft guide. Can you kind of compare those three careers? Um. Ski instructor was, it was fun, but I mean, you're still teaching. So like I was doing with like little kids. So between the ages of like three to six. So I was teaching the young, the young little kiddos. So you spend a lot of time on like the bunny slopes. Um, when you get to like six, those kids can ski. 
they're good. Um, you can have a lot of fun, but mostly it was a lot of storytelling, a lot of fairies. Winnie the Pooh in the woods was my favorite. So we'd go look for Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. Um, and uh, that was just a lot of like playing with kids, but you're outside all the time. So I love it. <laughs> fun job. And then you get to ski to your work. And then afterwards you just ski. It's amazing. So much fun. So that was like a teaching, teaching kind of job. And then um, when I was doing like the apprentice kind of guiding, um, that was, we did like a mix of stuff. So some like waterfall rappelling and um, some rock climbing and some hiking. Um, and that, at that time I was kind of like, I lived in my Jeep with Slack and um, the, which is the, the brown dog that squeaks. So we lit, we, we did that and we just kind of went around, but that was really just an excuse so that I could climb all the time. That's what that was. That was how I made money to climb. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. I, I, fun. <laughs> I remember you were telling me about your rock climbing and that's always something like I've been intimidated by for sure. Like I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's one of those things I'm sure like you get comfortable as you do it more. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like it's hard. Climbing I think is a little harder than like running to get into um just because you have to have a community to do climbing like unless you're alex honnold and you're gonna free soul everything um you have to have a partner but you have to have a partner like you can trust and that's also available at the same time as you mm. like it's like the same days off of work because you're an adult and you have to have a job unfortunately but so you have to like the same time off of work the same place the same like climbing interests and skill levels so it's it's harder to find people to do it with which yeah, makes did, it hard yeah did you did you have like a rock climbing partner that you climbed with a whole bunch or um well my my best friend Sean is uh, his name's Sean Walsh and um we met when I was doing my PhD and uh at Vander uh, I was doing it at Vanderbilt before I left I only did like like six months but um I met him there and um we climb periodically off and on um, for the last like six years. So he's probably my most consistent climbing partner. I'll meet people wherever I go and then you climb with them. But, um, since I've been running, I haven't climbed that much. I'm kind of obsessed with running, but I'm, I'm going to get, now that I'm going back out West, I'm going to get back into climbing again and do it all the time. But Sean and I are actually going to Spain in, um, when do I take it? February to go on a climbing trip. So yeah, so. that'll get you back into it. I have a feeling. Great. um what like so can you explain i know we talked about like misadventures you've had specifically Mm -hmm. rock climbing can i can we can we talk about a few of them oh a couple misadventures yeah misadventures are the best they really are i think that when it starts getting fun um what's that still there's a silly documentary not silly but it's a really good documentary on amazon prime and it's like the this guy sails all the way down to Patagonia to like do some mountaineering there. And it's like a really good documentary, 180 degrees South, I think it's called. Yes. Um, but I love, it's got good music, but it's also got that one guy, I think that they interview and he's like, adventure starts when everything starts going wrong. And he's like this gruff old man. And I'm like, that guy's cool. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So uh, some misadventures. I'd say most of them are honestly kind of embarrassing to admit, like as you're getting like better at climbing and you're learning more about what you do, um, you make all these like huge mistakes that you're like, that was really stupid. And any moderate amount of preparedness would have been like, that could have been negated, but you have to make the mistakes to learn what you did wrong. So, uh, when I was living in Frisco, Colorado, there's, um, 
there's a mountain like right in the backyard that's like a eight pitch sport climb no maybe more than that it's a it's a multi-pitch sport climb on mount royal and it's like a five nine um but it's sport and i had just started to get into trad and i didn't feel super comfortable with it but i liked multi-pitch and i was getting into that more and i'm like all right this is sport it'll be easy i'll bring my friend with me and it's only five nine and so we go out we have a a lazy morning so we bring like just our shoes some ropes so (laughs) just (laughs) some draws like nothing big and we're like, this will be an easy day. It's super fast. Lazy morning. Don't get there till 11. Take like, we're like, oh, we can find it easy. Mountain project directions. So it takes us about an hour and a half to actually find the start of this climb. So we're late getting started. It's midday. We're like, easy. It's 5'9". We get lost mid-route and we end up on the 5'11". And so we're climbing way harder than we had anticipated because we're super off route. And we're like, I have no idea where we are. And so we get to the middle and this was spring was starting. So it was still cold and there was still snow, but the rock face was warm. And so we're getting to like some, some spots mid mountain where we have to like walk along a ledge and ledge is covered in snow and keep going all the way up. And we had intended to walk off the mountain or we intended to repel off the mountain, but we didn't make it until the top until the sun was freaking setting. took us so long to climb this mountain because we got so off route. Then we get to the top, the sun is setting. We have no headlamp, none at all. Not one between the two of us. We don't even have a backpack with water. We were the most unprepared human beings in the world. So we get to the top, we're like, well, we can't repel off this in the dark with no headlamp because it involved a ledge that you had to navigate to find the rappel anchors. And we're like, we can't do that in the dark. So like, we'll walk off the back of the mountain because there is a walk off. We didn't realize the entire back of the mountain was still covered in snow. And that's steep. I mean, I've hiked up there. I haven't obviously done the rock climbing. It is straight down (laughs) on the trail. And there's definitely some cliffs on there that you have to like not run into. It was so much snow on the back that you couldn't find the trail. So the (laughs) trail. completely hidden under snow. And there weren't even like footprints to like tell you this is kind of where So we had no headlamp, no shoes to change into. So we're still in our slippery ass climbing shoes, post holing through the snow on our way back and um, using our cell phone lights is to navigate and having the GPS open, like looking at the satellite map being like, oh, there's a cliff over here. So we kind of need to go more to the right. It was such a disaster. We made it down by like 10 p.m. I think and went straight to the bar and we're like, I'm getting a burger and a beer. It was amazing. (laughs) What burger did you go with there? Oh, I can't remember. It was one of the, uh, oh gosh. It was one of the local places really close to the, to the start of Frisco. Yeah. Cause you can go almost directly from that trail and be like downtown Frisco. We did not go far. We were, we were desperate for a burger at that point. I will tell you this. I think people are still making that same damn mistake because we drove by it like two weeks ago and it was dark and there's a headlamp up there like on the rock climbing face and i was like dude somebody's up there and it is completely dark see at least headlamps so they were moderately prepared they were moderately (laughs) prepared they were at three out of ten in the boy scout meter um (laughs) they ever climb without a headlamp now i did make that mistake again on castleton in moab we had one headlamp for three people so that was a shit show too yeah i was that at fisher towers and stuff no, um, Castleton's at like, um, Castle Valley, you know, mm, where like okay. the and stuff. 
Yeah. Cause I remember I saw you on the trail as you could see Fisher towers in the distance and you're like, is that Fisher towers? I was like, yeah, dude. So pretty. Um, ancient art was my very first trad was my very first trad climb. So was that it? was first trads multi-pitch. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're, are, do you have any intimidation factor with stuff like that? Climbing? Yeah. Oh, I cry all the time. Terrifying. Utterly terrifying. I'll get on something with like any moderately committee move that's not in a crack and I'll just, I'll sob a little bit, shake, get the Elvis leg. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fall. <laughs> cry a lot, take forever, but it's still fun. I don't know why. Um, see, okay. That's where we're different. I think if I felt that, I don't know though. Cause that fear just reminds you that you're alive, you know, like it's, it's a good feeling in a terrible way. It's like the mosquito of feelings, I guess we could say. And I think I kind of just made this connection now, but I think it, it relates to, to ultra running kind of in that it's, it's the moving beyond your limitations. So you're scared and you don't want to do it, but you do anyway. And, and you feel kind of proud of yourself after you do, because you wanted to stop and you were afraid, but you made the conscious decision to, to trust that you knew what you were doing and that this wasn't as impossible as your mind was making it out to be, which is kind of similar to ultra running because your mind is saying, oh my God, everything in my whole body hurts. Please stop. And, um, and your body's like, no, you've trained hard for this. You can keep going and you do. And you feel so proud of yourself at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, before we jump into Yeti, cause I want to hear all about it. Um, just to bring it back to like helicopter piloting, is there oh, yeah. fear there? Like the, not probably not, not now that you've done it many times and, you know, but when you first were going up, I know you're with like an instructor or whatever, but I mean, at a certain point, there's the point where you're not with an instructor anymore. You know, like I, I was thinking about like driver's ed as a kid, you know, as like a high schooler. And then all of a sudden you're in the car by yourself and you're like, why am I in a car? Like this doesn't, who's letting me do this? Why? This is the most dangerous thing I'll ever do. Yeah. I think there definitely was. Um, but it was more of like an excitement factor than a fear. So there's like a little bit of fear, but it's more like adrenaline type of fear because you've practiced it so many times before they let you do that stuff by yourself. Yeah. For like, um, like helicopters, you have to generally, you generally have more hours before you do your first solo than you would in like an airplane. I find airplanes to be terrifying. They're scary. I don't know. They just don't stop moving forward. I like to be able to like stop and hover and Hey, take my Let's time. Just chill. Hey, airplanes. Why you keep moving? Let's just chill for a while. Like a helicopter. Come on. It's crazy fast. Uh, I know, scary, but airplane or helicopters are fun because you can hover. Hovering was my favorite part. You could do all kinds of spins and little pirouettes down the runway. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, I think it was more of like an adrenaline type of fear because you practiced it so many times. Yeah. And then the last question about fear mm. substitute teaching preschoolers. Scarier than helicopters? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, it was, it was honestly kind of fun. I, if I ever ended up in like the infant room, that was scary. I didn't know what to do with the infants. It was, I didn't, I was so glad I was like the substitute and was never alone. I'm like, please help. I don't know what to do with the infants, but like the, 
the two or three year olds. It was honestly kind of fun. They had a lot of naps. We played lots of games. We went outside and played stuff. So I kind of liked, I, I liked the substitute. I don't know if I'd want to do that for uh, a full-time job, respect to teachers, because as a substitute, I'm not really, I don't really have to, to raise the children. I just have to substitute occasionally and make sure they have a good time and are safe. But yeah, teachers, man. Teachers, man. Back. That's, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So ultra running comes about in your life. And it's funny because, you know, we know a little, or I know a little bit of the backstory just from interviewing you um, for our documentary. And it was funny because this interview is way different. It was weird at the documentary. So I'd like ask a question. I'd be like, what do you feel about helicopters? And you'd have to be like, repeat the question. Like, I think hell or the way I feel about helicopters and like, this is way easier for me. Um, <laughs> but I want to hear like, how did you get into ultra running and, and what have you kind of found from the, the past few years of taking this on? Yeah. So I'd say I kind of, I started ultra running cause well, to go, to go back a little bit, um, after I, I, I was, uh, flying helicopters and then I couldn't really get a job without the extra licenses. So, um, I joined the military and I had intended to, to fly. Um, but I've ended up working on computers related. I know. Not um, the same. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, um, not, not the field for me, um, not the job for me. And, um, so I'm moving on with that, but being in the Navy, I've ended up in places that don't really have a lot of the things that I like to do. So I was in like Pensacola, Florida, and um, there's no mountains or rocks in Pensacola. I can tell you this. It's if you don't like ocean sports, it's not the place to be. Um, <laughs> and then now I'm in Virginia Beach, which equally doesn't have any close mountains um closest climbing is like um, Seneca which is like five and a half hours away or the New River Gorge which is like six hours away so it's pretty far um so you can't really go do all that stuff that you want to like go out and do which made me really sad and I wasn't doing anything that I really liked because I don't really like computers let's be honest I'm terrible at them um, I'm not interested in anything computer related. Um, so I wasn't doing anything I liked. I was living in a place I didn't really want to live. And, um, in full mental health awareness disclosure, it was really depressing. And I was really sad and I didn't like where I was or what I was doing. And, um, it made me really depressed. And so I had my friend at work and we would start going on runs at lunch and I would talk with her at lunchtime on our runs. And it was like my venting point and running just made me feel better. And that was in like September of 2019 when I first got here. And so I just started running at lunch and I was like, this makes me feel better. I feel better when I'm running. And at the time I was like, well, I can't do any good Alpine or any good climbing stuff. I might as well train for some big objective and I'll take a vacation to go somewhere and um, climb something big since I can't climb here. So my friend and I were like, let's do this Alpine training program and start getting in shape to do some big climbs. And it had that, it had running as a component of it. And so I kind of added in um, that running which was making me feel better at work, um, to this training program. And then, um, my friend's brother had run ultras before 
and we were just chatting, complaining um, about how much running there was. And we were like, God, this training program has like way more running than we could do. Like, this is way more running. I'm not a big fan of this. And, um, <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, there's this 50K. It's beautiful. It's called Promised Land. And uh, you, should, you should train for it. You got like seven months to train for this. And he was showing us pictures of it. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's a really pretty run. And 50K, I'm like, that's like forever. There is no way people can run for 50K. Like, that's impossible. And he was like, it's only 30 miles. I'm like, well, okay, maybe we'll try. And so we found one of those like online women's running first 50K programs from the Google and we started following it. And my friend, she stopped running with me after a while. And it ended up just being me doing this training program for 50K. I have no idea when it happened, but climbing went out the window. That program didn't even exist anymore. And I'm like, I'm going to do this 50K. This 50K sounds great. I'm going to have a great time running this 50K. And the more I started to run, I guess the more fun it got. And it made work better because you had like this break and this little, this little, exercise in the middle of the day that just made you feel really good. Yeah. And I made me a little more happy at work and everything as well. And so the more I ran, the more I liked it. And then I couldn't wait. And I ended up doing freight train in December anyway, because I couldn't wait until March to do a first 50 K I had to do one earlier. And then I did another one and then I did another one and then COVID happened. Yeah. Um, but so wait, you, know, you went from like December to March basically. And you did three fifty Ks right in a row. I did. Uh, Oh yeah, I did. Cause I did freight train in December, Willis river in January, and then holiday Lake in February. Nice holiday Lake. Was that, uh, that one's <laughs> it's cold. Oh my God. My water froze in the pack. I couldn't drink any of it. I was carrying the pack and it had the hose that ran around the front froze solid. It was 16 degrees when we started that morning. Oh my gosh. But the, the fog. So it was so cold that the fog was rising from the lake the whole morning. So when we started and it was like kind of dark and the sun is rising a little bit, there's this deep fog just billowing from the water. And so you can barely see in front of you. It's like a surprise every time you come up on someone. Cause there's so much fog. It was so cold and it was beautiful. It was, it's a- cool. It's a cool race because you go around the lake one way and then you go back the other. It's super run. Like, I think there was only one section I hiked for like 30 seconds. Yeah, really. Like all the little, little upsies and downsies, they're they're gentle enough that you can make like everything there. Yeah. Yeah. That was was the race. I I had an Oreo and I was like trying to eat it and I couldn't (laughs) eat an Oreo by the end. I was like nibbling on it. And I looked down like 20 minutes later of me trying to eat an Oreo and it was like barely nibbled around the side. And then I sadly threw it into the woods for the squirrels. Oh God. Yeah, but it was awesome. And it's in February. So it's super cold, but I guess the point is, did you kind of do the thing where you're like, you did your first 50 K and you were like, I'm already trained up. Like I should just do another one. So I don't lose this training. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. It was a really bad idea. That second one hurt so bad. So I did I did freight train. I had no idea what I was doing. Obviously, I found the training plan on Google. Um, but I did the first one, the freight train, and I felt so good. And I got women's second place and um, did it in like 
five and a half hours. I mean, it really wasn't that fast. I didn't just think there weren't that many competitors. Let's not get excited. But <laughs> I had a really great time on that. And I was like, I feel super strong afterwards. A couple of days later, I'm like, I'm really rested. I might as well do another one. And um, Willis River is kind of like um, a volunteer one. So everyone just brings like donation food and it's just kind of like a good time for the 50k and I made it the, the did the first 30 feeling pretty good and then the last 20 I just just died I just utterly died it was I was mm, I was, I was hurting <laughs> that hurt uh still finished but it took me like seven hours to finish that one compared to like the five and a half from two weeks earlier so what? rest is a it is important. Yes. Uh, what, so then COVID happened, like, are you, did you just like continue running a bunch during COVID and are you putting in like, cause now you've caught the ultra bug, it sounds like. So are you, um, you know, like putting in like ultra distances by yourself? Um, I never, I kept hoping that, um, COVID would pass and that a race would open. So I kept training, like it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I had, I, I was wanting to do hundred K. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do one, like in a fall season was when they were all going to happen. So I was like, I'll train, like, I'm going to do hundred K in the fall. I was like, I'll train, like I'm going to do Hellgate hundred K, which hasn't happened yet, but I would so love to do that race. Um, and so I was like, I'll train, like I'm doing that one. All of everything ended up getting canceled. So none of it happened, but I ended up logging a lot of miles that summer, more than I have this summer. But, no way, really? Yeah, I logged a lot of miles last summer. So you, ran, told, you went all in. But I was I was getting really slow. I think I, I think I did too much just running and nothing else. So my pace really honestly kind of suffered. Even though I was running a lot, I wasn't really doing any speed training and I wasn't doing any like weight or cross training at all. So I was getting real slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happens though sometimes with ultras and you're like, I'm I don't know. I think I'm at the point where I've just accepted it. I'm like, yeah, I used to be faster. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, where did, when did you hear about the Deseret stage race? Um, I really wanted to do a stage race. So I, I've watched a lot. I, I like to watch the YouTube documentaries with like the Sahara stage races and pretty much any ultra or climbing documentary. I will want to watch it they're amazing i am so excited for your movie by the way i cannot wait um but thank you i'll update you after <laughs> i'm super excited too it's gonna be awesome we're just editing takes a while to do correctly so only imagine it's a lot of work but it just the the anticipation just makes it better so it's perfect uh, well yeah. you are spoiler alert you already know what's going to happen to a lot of the people in the race well, i know i know the ending but uh, <laughs> You want to see the journey again. It was the best race, but uh, what were we talking about? What? So you um, started watching documentaries and did you watch, did you watch desert runners? Is that one? Or yeah. I'm trying to remember the stage race ones. Totally watched the desert runners one. Um, and I was like, all these stage races look really cool. I want to do a stage race. That sounds super fun. And I had been watching, reading a lot about like fast packing and I wanted to get more into fast packing and, um, just because I, I like the idea of making it an adventure more than just like, it's a race. It's more like an adventure, um, kind of like multi-pitch climbing feels like it's more like an adventure versus like single pitch. Um, 
and I was Googling all the, all the stage races that we could do in the U S and desert rats was in like my favorite place. I love Fruta, Fruta, Colorado. is like, I love that place. I'd go there to mountain bike all the time when I lived out in Colorado. And then Moab, of course, is one of my first real outdoor rad multi-pitch places I learned how to climb. So I love both of those places. And I'm like, how freaking cool would it be to run between them? Like, whoa, that would be awesome. And, and the prices, and I mean, honestly, that's probably the most affordable stage race I think I've ever seen before. And I want to do it again so bad. And also just travel wise, like there's so many stage races around the world that I, I mean, I have my eyes on all of those amazing, like, uh, you know, overseas stage races, they look awesome, but like you have to pay for travel. They're really expensive. And it is kind of like a deterrent, but I'm telling you, and I know if people are listening to this, they're like, dude, this is all this dude talks about. Like, what is, come on. But like, if you get the opportunity and you can get like a week off, it is a life-changing experience. It's really cool. It sounds so dumb. And I know everyone was like saying that, that had done it before. Like, oh, this is life-changing. It's such a life-changing experience. And everyone's just, just like rolling your eyes. Like, okay, yeah, sure it is. But I mean, it really is. Um, and just such a, like I, almost every time I run now and I'm having a good time, I think about Coco Pelli. Like it just brings me back to Coco Pelli. Like every experience can be like, oh yeah, this is like that time when it rained in the desert and the smell of sage was just like permeating the air and you could just smell the secluded desert and it was just beautiful. And you're like, yeah, that was the best rain ever. <laughs> and yeah. you think about and you just, everything about that was the best race. It really was life-changing. I honestly, I'm like, I can remember almost every like part of that trail, which is crazy. Cause it's like 130, 140 miles, you know? Right. It was beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, so you go out and you crush that spoiler alert for my movie. Um, <laughs> 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 um and then you and I think you already had it on the books because I remember talking to you about it, but like the Yeti 100. Yeah, I, I was almost in Coco Pelli as a like I wanted to do a stage race and I wanted to run right there, but it was also a good confidence builder. Yeah. I think at I went into Coco Pelli, I had spent so much time running over the summer and put in so many miles all year up to that point. Um, I was kind of getting burnt out. And because I'd been putting on so many miles, like I had the, what is that stupid Strava thing? The, the Laurel for the most fucking, I shouldn't say the F word, um, the most times you've run a certain route. I had that for like every freaking trail on, on, in first landing in Newport news. Cause I would just sit there and I would do loops and I would do loops and I would do loops. It was so boring. And I was starting to like lose that spark of like running's really fun. Yeah. I was like, really boring. And I'm really tired of listening to audiobooks is what running was turning into. <laughs> and I really needed Coco Pelli. Like it, it reminded me that running is super fun and it's really, really pretty. And even when I'm walking at a 17 minute mile pace, I'm still you having crushed. A you crushed the 17 mile pace walking. I, it was awesome. <laughs> I was very consistent on that day. I was so consistent. And that <laughs> thought about that that stage the long stage where it was just like i was like i held pace i was like i'm gonna hold 15 16 minute miles or all 43 um, even if it's uphill i'm gonna run the downhills if i feel like it i'm gonna hold it and i'm gonna be consistent 
And that ran through my head so many times on the Yeti 100. Cause I knew if I held a 17 minute, I'd still finish. So I'm like, if I hold a 17 minute mile for that whole freaking time, climbing into the LaSalle's, I can do it right now. And that crossed my mind so many times in the Yeti. I was like, I did it in Cocopelli. I can definitely do it now. This is like a flat trail. I've got no problems. And it was, it was great. And it did, it worked. It was fine. That's awesome. Well, so think back, like before you started running and all that stuff, what, if you had to, if you went back in time and you're like, guess what? 2018 Sabrina, I just ran a hundred miles. What, like, what would you have said back then? I would have just straight up laughed at myself. I'd be like, that didn't happen. Stop lying. (laughs) No way ever. Like, I think, oh, maybe in college I'd run like a 5K. And I say run very liberally in this case. Like I'd run a 5K because I wanted to like have the like fun colors that they threw at you. That was it. That was like, that was the extent of any running I ever did. I was on the rowing team in college and the, the constant joke is that rowers cannot run. And so whenever our coach would make us run something, it was a very, very sad experience. So there's never any running a hundred miles thinking back then I would have no way, no way. So I like it though. Cause you can kind of see the progression of confidence built, you know, like you built the confidence, you discover the love of running and then you line up at the Yeti 100 and you're, you're pretty confident at the beginning. Um, more so than I was at Coco Pelli. I remember crying every day of that stage race right at the start, just Man. at pure. I was so nervous at the start of every day. I'm like, Oh my God, am I going to make these cutoffs? Like I was so nervous. We missed all of the tears from you. I'm kind of bummed. You, uh, there what was the, the day of the, the long race, um, stage four with the, with the climb and stuff. That was at the beginning of that. Luke and Tanya were like trying to dance for me to the music to get me to stop freaking crying. They were like, it's so much fun. We're having a great time. And I'm just, just tears streaming down my face. Like I'm never going to make the cutoffs. I can't believe we missed that. I'm super bummed now. Cause I was like, <laughs> you know, as we're like editing it and stuff, I'm like, I think like there's a couple things we missed for sure that I wish I would have got. But now I'm like, oh, and it was funny. Cause I read your like, you kind of did like a, a like Instagram post uh, and you kind of did like a race report situation. And I was like, dude, I could never tell like anything, but like pure happiness was going through your brain. I mean, I could tell there were moments of miserableness, but like you definitely did the like, hey, I'm going to have optimism and it's going to push me through this whole thing. I think a, a bit of that is um, when you see a camera. You, you, you have to, you have to run. Like it's, it's like a requirement. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I know. And then on the last day I felt bad. Um, or not the last day, the long day. Cause I was riding my bike up that like 13 mile section and it's, <laughs> I wasn't riding fast. I'm not like a strong biker. And so I kept passing you and then I'd get off to film something because it was just so incredible. Like the scenery there is like mind blowing. And I would just get off the bike and start filming the scenery. And then you'd come around the corner. I'm like, sorry, I'm still here. So I know you probably want to have like a moment of peace in the middle of the wilderness. I'm sorry. I was like apologizing. 
Oh man, nothing could have bothered me that day. It was the most perfect day. Nothing, nothing could have gone wrong. It was just perfect in every way. Well, so let me ask you this. Like, do you have the whole before a race, maybe the self-doubt or the um, anxiousness, you know, but then when the, when you start, when you finally start and you can turn your, your brain off and you can just go, does that kind of help out that whole? Cause you were saying you were crying before mm-hmm. it and now it's like the best day ever. Yeah. I think what getting started is like the hardest part. Like when you line up and you're just like, there's no way, but then you get started. I think, I think, um, I, I hit like a point in each race where it's just like the, the self-talk it's really bad. Um, especially for like the longer stuff for, for Coco Pelli, it only happened on the first day, actually first day in like mile nine, I hit this moment where I was just like, it was that big old climb on the first day. And, um, I hadn't done good nutrition or I hadn't had enough salt or water. Um, and at that point I was like playing catch up and it was super hot and I'd started this climb and I was just so nauseous and I just felt like such crap. And I was like trying to keep like a good pace. And it was just like, I would take like five steps and I'd be like, I have to sit down and I just sit on a rock. And the rock was like a hundred degrees. Like I was sitting on an oven. So my butt was baking. I was feeling like I was going to throw up. So I just sit there with my hands between my legs. Like I am nine miles into the first freaking day. Like, there's no way, like, I can't, I can't do this. Like what? compelled me to think I was capable of something like this, but I just kept going. And then finally got to that aid station, took forever, sat there and cried and had a ginger ale with ice. And now it's become my vice at every single race. I have to have a ginger ale. And so I was drinking the ginger ale with ice and everybody there was so nice. And I was like, I need a hug. So just give me a hug. And I got enough hugs and I just, and, and just kept going. Like I was like, just didn't give up there and just just walked it. I was like, I'll be fine if I just keep going and then made it through that. And that was enough. But I think at that point, if, if at your low, you decide you're not good enough and you don't just keep going. I think that that's the end. That's the it. That's it. If you like succumb to the, to the bad on your first one. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to resist it that first time. It's so important. Temptation. And then it never happened again at Gokopelli. That's amazing. Well, what about Yeti? So you start Yeti, like what are the highs and lows like of that race? Yeti was, so we started off and I was just so excited to do a Yeti race. Like the Yeti trail runners are just amazing. The most beautiful community of just welcoming, inclusive human beings that are just, and I was so excited to do that race. I was like, I can't wait to do a Yeti race and get to meet like Jason and all these amazing people and see everyone having a good time and just supporting each other. Um, I was like, perfect first hundred race, right? Like if I'm going to do a hundred, I want to do a Yeti race. And, um, so I got there and, um, some, some people from Coco Pelli were going to come out, but like some things just didn't work out. And I am intentional. I'm, I'm so awkward. I just can't ask people to do things. I hate inconveniencing anybody. And so asking someone to like, try to come crew, it would just, it just crushes my soul. I can't do it. I just feel so awkward. And so I ended up just doing it just myself with like no crew or anything. And, um, I was like, well, it doesn't matter because it's a Yeti race and everybody surrounded by the crew. Yeah. Because 
that's what it is. It's the Yeti family. Right. And so I was like, perfect. No problem. I won't need it. And, um, so we started the race and it started off really, it started really well. Um, so it was out back and then out again. So it was about like 33 and a half ish miles each direction. And so you start out at the top of white top and you're going like a, a very gentle downhill for a while. It's not a ton of elevation. I think total maybe 5,000 total, something small. Um, but it's very, very gradual and it's downhill the first direction. So you're going down and I was like, my plan was just going to comfortably run at like a nice standard 11 and a half, 12 minute mile for the first 33 miles. Just try to don't stop. Just keep going at that for the whole time. And I did, I did really quite well. Um, I didn't really stop. I just kept going. I had a nice, really comfortable pace that didn't feel like it was really taxing. Um, when I got to like mile 30, I think I decided that, um, I was using the same muscle in my hip too much. And I was like, I want to mix up which muscles I'm using. So I started doing like a mile of like super power walk. I was trying to, um, channel my inner Phil, you know, Phil on the Coco Pelli where he was doing that like aggressive power walk. He said he had to eliminate his foot slaps. Is that what it was? That wasn't what you got to hear the foot slap theory. Uh, I will next, if I like, when I have Phil on again, we'll talk about foot slap theory. He, he invented it. I'm so excited to hear this. This is going to be great because I was like, Phil can go so fast. I'm going to channel my inner Phil. And so it was like a mile of like, I'm going to be as fast as Phil. Um, but I'm going to use different muscles than I was when I was running. And so then I would do a mile of running at like 11 and a half minute miles. And then I would do that until I got to the turnaround. And then I did the turnaround and I was like, okay, time to mix it up. Mile of running, uh, a mile of fill walking. And so I, I managed to do that until, and it was feeling really good. I was feeling like strong and confident, like nervous because I hit like mile 30 and I'm like, well, I'm kind of sore already. This is not good. I'm not even halfway finished. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Then you hit mile 50 and you're like, oh my God, I'm only halfway freaking done. Holy crap. Um, and you're just like, wow, I don't even want to sit down. I like sat down at the halfway point and I was just like trying to sit for my, my drop bag. I was like holding on to stuff and I like slowly dropped down and some other people walked by to like get their drop bags. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm totally in the way. And they're like, no, we saw how you got down. Don't move. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was not a good place to be for halfway, but it was fine. As long as you kept moving, you could just ignore it. And so got back up, kept going. And then when the sun started to set at like mile six, 57, it was mile 57. Uh, that was horrible. That was where I hit like the super low. Um, cause we'd started to climb back up to white top and the sun was setting and I really don't like running in the dark. And so I'm like in my little bubble of my headlamp and it's nighttime and I'm tired and I'm only at mile 57. I'm barely over halfway done. And I'm just climbing I'm all alone. I ran with some people for a little bit, for like a couple of miles, but never for very long. I was, I ran by myself most of the time. And so I'm like all alone. It's really dark. And I'm just crying all the way up. It's just, just, just tears coming down. And I was trying to like motivate myself. I'm like, how many, like you've worked so hard for these hundred miles. Like put in so much training it, all these weekends where you like could have gone to go uh, backpacking in like Shenandoah or do something fun. Um, you stayed and ran in circles at freaking Newport news to get 30 miles in. Like 
you spent so many weekends miserable and running in Virginia beach just to finish this. You better do it. <laughs> so I'm like just climbing them. And I had, I'd looked at my Strava before I started. I had like 1,655 miles since I signed up for Yeti of training. And I'm like, okay, 1,655. And it was just turned into like 1,655. <laughs> 1,655 the whole way up. I was just so miserable, just grudging up this mountain. And I finally made it to the aid station at mile like 63. And I just walked in and they're like, great job. You're doing so awesome. And I just sit there and I'm like, can I have a hug? Everyone <laughs> <laughs> came over and they started giving me hugs. And there was a dog there. They were like, do you want some dog kisses? And I'm like, I want dog kisses. So the dog came up and gave me kisses and they were like, do you want some food? Have some hot food. And they're like, where's your crew? And I'm like, I don't have a crew. And they're like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, I love you guys. <laughs> and so they brought all these hot drinks out and like, they're like, let's take off your shoes, check your feet. I'm like, okay, thank you. They're like, make sure everything, my feet were good. And it was like, they were just the most beautiful human beings. And they were like, it'll get better. You just got to push through this. And I'm like, okay. So I cried my way up to the top of white top, tapped the, tapped the, the building at the top, turned around and started the way down. And then it got better because it got downhill and I'm like, okay, it's downhill now. This is, this is nice. And so I ran the whole way back down to that aid station. So I was like, okay, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good now. And I, at that on the whole climb up, I, there was no running. <laughs> there was only crying and walking. That was all that happened. And then made it to the top, turned around and they were right. Like it did get better. So I was like, this feels pretty good. Like I'm feeling pretty nice. My, my back was hurting really bad on the way up. And, um, I realized when I'd started to run again, I'm like, oh, running makes my back stop hurting. So just ran more. So my back stopped hurting. It was, it was like a really gentle downhill. So it felt really good to do, even though your quads were on fire. Uh, and I made it to that aid station. I'm like, I did it. Everyone's like, you did it. It was awesome. And then from then on, I did pretty good. Um, I, I was able to go back to like, I was doing like a half mile of running and like a mile, a half mile of walking until I made it back to the middle point there, which is like mile 85. I made it to mile 85. I was like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. And um, like got everything already. And then started out at mile 85. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to move. And then my quads completely gave out. They were just completely done. Anytime I would try to walk, my knees would collapse and I'd like fall to the ground. I was like, okay, so we're walking the rest of the way. And so I did the last like 15 miles of like as fast as I could walk, which was pretty pathetic, but still moving. And I made it 26 and a half hours. So Dude, that's amazing. And I've say you are, you are my hero. And between you and Luke and uh, Tim, who was out there, like he ran a hundred miler recently. Like I'm just... I'm just like, I don't know. You guys are inspiring me because I, it never has sounded good before. And somehow in your story of crying on like walking uphill and your quads giving out, I'm like, hmm, interesting. That yeah, actually feel, doesn't sound bad. 
the special ultra runner quality. I think you hear the, these horrible stories, like watching these videos and you're like, they're like, oh, I was throwing up in the bushes for like three hours. And you're like, damn, he sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, huge congrats. How was the Jason Green hug at the end? Oh, it was amazing. It was everything I'd ever wanted. It was perfect. Just standing there with the buckle and you're like, I did it. And you get a hug from Jason and you're like, I love everybody here. Oh, it was so fun. It was glorious. Oh, really. Amazing. I'm already looking for the next one. That's what I was wondering. And I always hate asking it, but so you have the ultra running bug now, like you, you're fully in, you're fully invested, but you just did a hundred miler, you know, like once you've done it, you know, you can do it. Hmm. Interesting. See, I'm still at the, like, I don't know if I can do this kind of thing. Oh my God. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. I think the hundred is, is just all in your head. Yeah. It's totally in your head. Yeah. Like eventually it's not even a physical thing. It's just a mental battle. Yeah. I mean, barring like legitimate injuries, but like, you hurt really bad, but I mean, I feel like the hurt at miles 78 was pretty similar to the hurt at mile 100. Really. If we're being honest, I think your body reached a point where it's like, I'm broken now. And this is my life. And, uh, and then you're like, this hurts, everything hurts. And then that's life now. But you're like, it's not going to hurt worse right now. Yeah. It's just hurt. It just continues to feel bad. Yeah, exactly. I've thought about Coco Pelli a lot. Every race I think about Coco Pelli now. Um, but like thinking about you ended each day on that stage race and you'd be like, oh my God, like stage two, it was like yeah. degrees, miserable, like 40 miles. You're like, oh my God, you hurt so bad at the end of that race. And then you went to bed, you woke up and did it again. And at some point, like your body was just like, okay, like this is life now. This is the got- state of living we are in. Like going from like state waking up to do stage two, your body was like, ow, this is really awful. And then your body waking up to do five is like, I kind of hurt, but I'm used to this now. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Well, okay. So to wrap up, because I have a a wonderful afternoon plan of, and my daughter's talking to me right now. She's like, I know. Yeah. She's doing, she was just doing like the like SWAT team, like. This doesn't, this doesn't translate on a podcast. I'm doing hand motion movements, but, uh, uh, anyways, I know I have a wonderful afternoon of taking all my kids in to get their flu shots in about 30, 40 minutes. And they all get them all right in a row. And then they all are crying, looking at each other in the eyes. Like, why is dad, why is this a thing that dad had us do? And daughter is like pointing at you to go do it and not like hiding in the other room. Like, I hope he forgets. No, no, no. She's pointing at me because her friend just came over and rang the doorbell. And now I, I get to be the good, the great dad. Who's just like, Hey, I know you play with your friend for three minutes, but now we got to go get shots right now. God, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But to wrap up, (laughs) to wrap up what, um, what's like one big lesson you've been able to take away from this whole like journey over the past few years into the sport? Um, I think the biggest thing that I've like come that I, that I'm happy that I've learned is that you can do so much more than you think you can. 
And I like that this is going to translate into like climbing and such, because you really don't think that the body can do that much, but it really can. And all you have to do is like put in, put in the training and put in the effort um, and power through. And that when you think you can't move anymore and you're like, I can't take one more step because everything hurts. You take a couple more steps and you're like, I'm, I'm still going and I can still do more. Like I never in a million years would have imagined doing a hundred mile race. That was not even close to being anywhere near any radar at all. I was unbelievably unathletic in high school. Like I was allergic to sports. I did PE online. Yeah. 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 My mom signed those papers. We faked that I did push-ups. Uh, I did not do anything activity wise. Um, but now I'm like, I ran a hundred miles and I want to do it again because I know I can, I know I've done it before. I know I can do it again. Just put in the work and don't give up yeah. whenever I get really I want to like motivate myself to like work really hard. This is so cheesy. I watch the, the Leadville 100 like pre-race videos <laughs> where he's like, I commit, I won't quit. And I'm like, I commit, I won't quit. I'm so motivated right now. Yeah. Those really get me. Um, but yeah, I just don't give up and you can do anything. That's, and that's so genius. And I mean, it, what a beautiful like analogy for life too. It's like when everything's really hard and you don't think you can keep going, you can, you just got to like take it one step at a time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so fun. I could talk about this forever. Dude. Well, you're going to have to come back on cause this was awesome. And I have like probably a billion more questions. So <laughs> at some point you'll have to come back on the podcast and, uh, yeah, we can chat again for sure. Um, Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on. This was super enjoyable. Thank you. I had a really good time. I don't think I'm very interesting, but I had fun. You are very interesting. I will confirm that right now. (laughs) I'm taking your daughters to get their shots. Good luck. All right. Update on my daughters getting their flu shots. It went about as I expected, (laughs) which, which was not not a not good type two fun type two fun in retrospect you're like that was so ridiculous that it went beyond ridiculous like beyond like frustrating to just like what is happening right now they were all not happy to get their flu shots um (laughs) Anywho, sorry, I'm just reliving it right now in my brain. Um, Yeah, anywho, Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are always a delight to sit down and chat with. Um, I just, I really appreciate, like when I, when I was thinking about this conversation, I really appreciate, it's almost like, you know how you hear people say like, just go with the flow. Like people say that, like, hey man, I don't know, just go with the flow. I It's like when you, people can say that all the time, but when you actually meet somebody who's like, what are the challenges? Okay, I'm going to step up. Yeah, I'm worried about them, but like, I don't know, I guess I'm going to take them on anyways. Like when you meet someone who actually just takes that mindset on and you can see it through their actions and not just their words, that's to me, that's what's really 
impressive. Um, and, you know, obviously being out there and seeing Sabrina and really tough situations and really harsh environments and and far like long into a race, you know, but seeing her positive attitude um, even if, you know, and I've done it too during a race where you put on a positive attitude to try to, to try to like, like fake it till you make it. Um, you know, because you're like, well, if I pretend that I'm like, I'm, sm I'm smiling right now, maybe I'll actually start smiling. Um, I've totally done that and it is a great strategy. Uh, but I just felt nothing but authenticity every time I saw Sabrina out on the trail even if it was 30 miles in, even if it was for like 40 miles in and it was dumping rain or if it was 116 degrees and all of that. Um, and it sounds like she took that into Yeti and every every person I've told, you know, who who's like all the film crew who met Sabrina and I'm like, yeah, I just talked with her. She just did her first 100 miler and like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, was anyone else out there like supporting her? I'm like, I mean, there was a lot of support, it sounds like, but she went out She went out there without a crew um, and she just did it. She just got it done. And they're all like, that's that to me is like really, really impressive. So um, it was awesome. I loved hearing that story. Um, this is one I'll definitely look back on because, and I was telling uh, my wife, Lindsay, I'm like, it was, I like laughed harder in this one than I have in a lot of episodes. It was really funny. Uh, and then I felt bad because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I laughed at her stories when she was talking about sobbing and like being in a dark spot. But the way she tells the story, she tells it in such a cheerful mood. You're like, oh, I have to laugh at this. And now I feel guilty um, about that. So sorry, Sabrina. Um, man, I'm having complete adventure envy right now. This is my favorite time of year. It's October. It feels awesome out. Uh, you know, it goes from out here in Colorado right now, it's going from like 35 degrees in the morning to like 60 in the afternoon. And you're like, oh man, this is perfect. I want, I want to get out, uh, and get into some adventures. And I think part of me having adventure envy is based on a couple, um, a couple different like adventure things I'm consuming right now. And I've thought of this idea of like, I, I talked about it with my leadership class, but it's the idea of like, what do you consume? And it's not only what you consume in your diet or whatever, it's what do you consume, you know, in your brain? Like what's, what's the media you're consuming? What's, what are the videos? What are the TV shows? Like what uh, music are you listening to? What conversations are you having with people? Right. And lately I've been consuming a whole bunch of adventure stuff and, and I wanted to share some of them because they're com completely awesome. Uh, one, Cody Townsend, uh, The 50 Project. If you haven't watched that yet, there there's like almost 30 episodes on YouTube right now. There's more if you include all the bonus ones. Um, and, and I got to talk to Cody like probably a year and a half ago uh, about it, which was super cool. But he's starting to release kind of like season three of his episodes. Um, basically, he's trying to climb up and then ski down some of the biggest uh craziest ski routes i think it's it's like the classic routes of north america so some of them are easier than others and then some of them like in his first episode for season three 
he has to hike like just way, way back through like thickets and all this crazy stuff, which is awesome. So uh, check that out. That's been really cool. I've been reading Bo Miles' um, book, The Backyard Adventurer, and by reading it, so Bo, if you haven't watched his stuff on YouTube, he's like this really quirky, unique storyteller from Australia. Um, he's commuted to work by walking. He's commuted to work by kayaking. Those are two of his more recent <clears throat> uh, short films. They're really interesting and they're just awesome. Like he just comes up with these adventures just around his local area recently and it's really inspiring to me because that's available to everybody. Everybody has that availability to explore where they live. Um, and so I just love it. I love that idea. So basically when he kayaks to work, he goes from his farm, connects all these creeks and streams, and basically explores like the health of his town through the waterways, which is really interesting. But I'm reading his book, The Backyard Adventure, and by reading it, I specifically downloaded the audiobook with his narration because he's Australian and it just sounds cooler than me trying to read in an Australian accent in my brain. Uh, so to hear Bo's voice reading it, you're just like, yes, this is awesome. Um, so read that. Uh, I read another book by Adam Schultz, who's this Canadian explorer, adventurer guy. Um, and we hopefully... We'll have him on on a future episode again. Uh, he he rode a boat, a canoe across the Arctic. Hopefully he hasn't heard my take on canoeing, which I hate. Uh, I'm just kidding. I like I don't mind canoeing. Like if you're like, hey, what would you rather do? No adventure or go on a canoe adventure? I'd be like, oh, well, hell yeah, I'll go on a canoe adventure. Let's let's do it right now. Um, anyways, we'll get into that maybe if uh if if I can figure out a time to, to chat with him uh and then the last thing is and this is maybe it maybe this is the key to what is giving me adventure envy right now um i had a lesson with my uh leadership class where basically the idea is about being proactive and thinking about the like begin with the end in mind kind of mindset um and we were talking like, you know, I wanted them to plan a project, but I didn't want it to be anything like boring or whatever. So basically what I did is I gave them uh, little scenarios, like little cards with scenarios. And all the scenarios were famous expeditions um, throughout history, uh, like Shackleton's or Teddy Roosevelt's or, or things like that. And some of them were expeditions that went okay. And some of them were ones that faced a lot of obstacles and went poorly. And my students had to like come up with their own plan. Um, what obstacles did they think they were going to face? And then they had to research the real life expedition and be like, oh, this is what they actually had to like deal with on this um, to see if they were able to like successfully anticipate, for example, like Shackleton's boat getting stuck in the ice, which they weren't. I was like, man, you guys were just like, we'll go to Antarctica. I'm like, yeah, man, there's like ice and stuff there. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so like we've been sitting outside as they play in these expeditions in the beautiful weather. And I'm just like, ah, oh. I'm like, I want to plan something. <laughs> I want to go on an adventure right now. Um, so, yeah, so I've adventure envy. Maybe I'll get out. Maybe I'll get to do an adventure sometime soon. Um, and hopefully you guys are also planning on 
some awesome stuff. I know winter is is on its way, but there are plenty of plenty of things you can do in the outdoors in the winter. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a good year. I'm very hopeful this morning at 5:50. So yeah, let's go. Go have a good week. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.